the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm telling you that we go through things in life to teach us how to love people and to care about them, to understand that we are sinners too and that we all need curing and this boat of trouble called life, that we are all in it together. We need each other to get through, to be healed. Life is about being cured. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the conclusion to the seven last plagues. That's the seven last plagues. We brought you the first portion this last time we were together. We will complete it now. And remember, you can find the entire message without interruption at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. God had to soften my heart by health challenges and conflicts along the way. I learned that I can falter in faith. I want an easy Christian fix. I want instant solutions. And I learned that God has a longer journey in mind for me to teach me to rely on Him, to learn character. And this I did not know in the journey when it first started. I learned more deeply that I am a sinner. And so God was the only holy one in my life who could and did forgive me of my sins. Thus, I came to love God more because I came to see myself for who I am more really. And as I opened my Bible to consider the subject matter of the seven last plagues, this week as I was going through that review, what will the final time of trouble be like that envelops the whole world? I thought to myself, you know, we've had a lot of trouble in the last 20 years. I mean, I'm sure it's bad, but why would it be that different? And then I realized God is preparing us by what we deal with today so we can handle what will happen tomorrow. God has given us a journey to grow in faith. And friend, if you're not engaged in God to where you're challenged, you're pushed to your limits, then maybe you're not making a difference. You're not a fruit bearer in the kingdom of God. And I look at how God has honored us as a church to experience things that are unbelievably difficult to his glory and praise. And so I turn from a sense of frustration to a sense of joy as I reviewed the real reason for the journey. Look at the trouble we all had to face in life. Why does God send plagues at the end? I was asking this question. You know, if we have this kind of trouble in the journey, why the need for plagues at the end? Isn't history bad enough already? Don't we have enough trouble? Just look at the wars and the death and the pain and the sorrow around us. Don't we have enough of it? Why does God have to bring seven last plagues on the world when there are plenty of plagues to go around already? Dear heart, the specter and fear of a future time of trouble is always framed by the shadow of the trouble we leave behind or the trouble that envelops us at the time that is called right now. we got enough of it. It is framing the context for the future. For people dying with cancer, now is the time of trouble. Am I right? Am I right? 
For people trying to put food on the table with no money, now is the time of trouble. You go to Venezuela, they're trying to survive down there. Now is the time of trouble for those people. For my brother who struggled with opioid addiction, he didn't need some end time of trouble. He had it last year. He died from suicide in his time of trouble. I return to the quote by Albert Camus in his novel, The Plague. I have no idea what's awaiting me or what will happen when this all ends. For the moment I know this, there are sick people and they need curing. I confess to you today that I don't need to know what the time of trouble is going to be like exactly because I have enough trouble right now in my life. And what about you? You there? And so I ask you the question, why are there seven last plagues and why are there plagues at all? The study of prophecy requires that we pause enough to contemplate life seriously. Why does God smite us in life? The Bible says he does. You know, I don't buy into the naive notion that God is passive. That the God who holds the universe allows the good and the bad to come to us. That's what Job said. So we have to come to grips with what that means. So why does God afflict us at times in our life? That's at the heart of the question of the seven last plagues for me. Why are there seven last plagues at all? Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Hosea. For us to study the subject of the plagues without understanding the character of God is to miss the point and misunderstand the plagues. The proper study of prophecy, friend, is not some fear-mongering journey to find some extremist outcome at the time of the end. The study of prophecy is moral. It's so we can contemplate and understand the character of God and thus be drawn into a loving relationship with our loving God. Hosea 6.1 is one of those verses you should circle in your Bible because it illumines the meaning of God's present afflictions in our life. Look what it says, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. You know, we've all left God at times in our life. We all play around with the commitment. And so Hosea says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn. That's not passive, it's active. He has torn that he may heal us. He has stricken and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. I mean, there is so much packed into these two verses. God smites us in life so God can heal us in life. We have sicknesses in the soul that no one sees but God. And God sees us better than anyone else. And friend, God is willing to afflict the sore to bring healing to your life. God knows just how sick you really are. And God wants you to be healed. And so God brings trouble into our lives surgically applied so we can be cured of the trouble that is in the deeper self so we can see ourselves, our need of God, so we can live with God forever. That's what happens. Hosea says God smites us to heal us. He wounds us to restore us. He strikes us down to raise us up. This is the physician's work that God does in our life. With the surgeon's scalpel, he is cutting, he is making us whole, he is working his will for our good. The Christian that has no trouble in their walk with God does not know God. Jesus says, as many as I love, I discipline and I rebuke. Hosea 6.3 says, let us know. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. That's why it happens. Friends, we don't get God by an easy Christian journey. We get God when it's rough and tough. That's when we really come to know God. I've discovered in my life that God comes to me in the most personal kind of way when times are hard. The times when God is closest to me is when I need Him the most. Because something has happened that challenges me to fall on my knees, to surrender, 
to say, you are God and I am not, help me. And it's in those times that I find the grace of God, the richest for me. I can't tell you why certain things happen to me or you that are bad, but I can tell you this. When they do come, and that they will, God is near, and God gets through the fog and the pain to touch the soul in a personal, loving, deep kind of way where the soul has the peace to know that God is near. That's what it's about. Isaiah 63, 9 is one of the most awesome verses in the Bible that goes along with this idea. In all of their affliction, he, God, was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Let's face it. God has to fight with us to save us. God has to strike us to create discipline in us. God has to go after the junk that would keep us out of heaven so he can save us. And so God has a controversy with his people at times. The Bible is very clear. When God brings affliction into our lives, God is afflicted by the same affliction. It hurts God to discipline us, but he does for our own good. That means it hurts God more than us to save us. That is something we don't often think about, but the Scripture is clear. In all of their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. Sometimes we think that we need to be saved by just being delivered. If I just have all the trouble go away, then I'd be saved. But we fail to understand that it's not being delivered or saved that we need the most. What we need the most is the presence of God in our life. And so God allows it to happen to us, so we fall and we crunch down our knees, and thus God is with us. When John Wesley was dying, he'd been through a life journey. He'd struggled with the sense of Christian commitment and acceptance with God for a good hunk of his life. And after he'd weathered it all, his death on his deathbed, John Wesley, the great revivalist and preacher, said, God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. He died with a smile on his face. Life eternal, friend, is to know God. Jesus said, this is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. When Job was smitten hard with plagues and trouble, you know, this whirlwind came, killed his family. Then got sick and the devil threw a bunch of sores on his body. He lost everything he had, his cattle, his servants, and his children. And his wife was with him still. She was not supportive of him at that time. So Job was a crunched down, frustrated man. And his friends came and started pointing fingers at him. And so Job began to ask questions. He asked questions that would make Socrates look like a schoolboy or a simpleton. Anyone who reads the book of Job knows it's the deepest book of the Bible in terms of the question of theodicy, the justification of God. Why does God let all this trouble come into our lives? And in the book of Job, the righteous sufferer asks questions that are so hard, I don't even think God can answer those questions. Because they just keep on going on and on and on. And the biggest question is why? Have you ever asked the question, why? We, be, we all become Job's when we are going through trouble. Why did you bring all this trouble into my life, God? Job had a lot of trouble like a lot of Christians do. In the book of Job, in the midst of the trouble, at the very end, God shows up in a whirlwind. Now think about that. A whirlwind is a storm. That's what Job's life was like. And when God shows up in the storm... God is the storm in the book of Job. He's in the storm. And you know, maybe God is in your storm, and maybe God shows up when you're having conflicts just like Job. 
God shows up in the storm for Job. And so God showed up to ask more questions of Job, who threw a whole book of questions at God, which is the book of Job. So God said, where were you, Job, when I made the universe? Where were you when I stuffed the dragon into the sea and kept him at bay for centuries? Did you know how to loose the belt of Orion? And stuff like that, Job, do you hold the universe in your hand? And then Job just puts his hand on his mouth. And he stops talking to God. It becomes silent in the book of Job. And that's a bad thing. You know why? Because God wants you to talk to him in the midst of your storm. And so then Job finally speaks and he says something so profound that I have to share it with you here. It's about life. Look at Job 42.5. Here he is looking at the vision of God in the storm, in the awesome whirlwind. Yeah, his whole life has fallen apart. But God is there. And he says this, I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but what? But now my eye sees thee. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's trouble led Job to understand himself. Why? So that Job saw himself as a sinner in need of a Savior. And Job recognized that the God who is in the storm is the God who controls his life in his storm. Thus, knowing God is more important than having the answer to the question, why? Friend, God is in the storm that calms the soul. God is in the storm that comes at you. And God can best be found in the darkness of the storm. Jesus said the same thing in principle in John 15. He said this, Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. We experience pruning in our life, which is necessary for us to have God in our life and thus to bear more fruit. Now, if you aren't bearing fruit, you don't even get pruned. So the fact you got stuff coming at you means that God sees a chance for you to grow and to advance in his cause. Thus, you are pruned. As I said, I lost my brother last year to suicide. He told me that he got hooked on opioids after a surgery. They were prescribed by a doctor, and it just kept on grabbing him. And as he was wasting away, God brought someone else into my life who needed my help and who was and is still hooked on similar kinds of things. I've given that person the same kind of attention I gave my brother before he died. I now know more of what it means to suffer and how to be tender and compassionate towards someone who has something that is so overwhelming in their life that they don't feel that they can get a handle on it. And I didn't know that when my brother died. I wish I'd have understood it better in the journey to save my brother. But I know it now. And his death taught me that I need to be more understanding, more compassionate of people who are suffering, who are weak. I took my friend to a rehab clinic yesterday. I told him that he needs to choose between those who love him and pray for him and those who don't love him and don't pray for him at all. And on the way to the rehab clinic, he turned to me in the car and said, those old friends of mine that hung me up lately, they pray on me, but they don't pray for me. I said, we pray for you because we love you. My friend's father committed suicide like my brother did. I lost my brother. He lost his father in the same kind of way. You see, there's common ground there. The day before he called me, just the day before this drive to the rehab clinic, which was yesterday, he said this to me. He said, Father. And then he caught himself. He said, I met Pastor Mike. That was a window in my soul. I was deeply moved by that slip up. I said, that's okay. I think I understand. You can call me that. 
I'll be a father for you if that's what it takes to get you through this. But I'll tell you something. I will not prop you up in this thing. I'm here to get you through it and get you out of it. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. I'm telling you that we go through things in life to teach us how to love people and to care about them, to understand that we are sinners too. And that we all need curing. And this boat of trouble called life, that we are all in it together. We need each other to get through, to be healed. Life is about being cured. So just before the door in the lobby to the rehab clinic, Friday morning, this Friday morning, we bowed our heads. I prayed for him. I felt like I was praying for my brother. He's not finished with his journey. He's not finished. And I'm not either. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime, and sometimes it's a very hard struggle. But there in that room, we put our arms around each other in prayer and found ourselves in the same place in our need of God. Friend, pastors don't fix people. And sometimes God doesn't either. God at times just smites people in love so as people can come to know that God is the only cure. His presence is the cure that takes us out of trouble. And so we need God more than we need a fix. The kingdom of Egypt challenged the God of Israel, and God brought ten plagues on Egypt for pure purposes. Turn your Bibles to Exodus 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should heed his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. I mean, he's not going to do it. I've had these slaves for centuries. Our kingdom has. No way. You're staying here. We all have Pharaohs in our life, don't we? We have forces that want to just keep us tied down, prevent us from working and living for the Lord. And so we can feel the draw of sinful habits, of past backgrounds, maybe of our own assessment of ourselves. So Moses and Aaron got real direct with Pharaoh because they were speaking for God. And they made it very clear that slavery and oppression is not in God's vocabulary for his people. In Christ, we have been made free. And so the Christ of the Old Testament was speaking to Moses here. Look at verse 3. Through Moses. Then they said to Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. You know, here are the great statues of... Toth and all these other Egyptian deities. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray. A three days journey in the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God. And notice what they say next. Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Now the word pestilence is plague. We got to get out of here, king. Because if we don't get out of here, God's going to bring plagues on us as the children of Israel. Ten plagues fell on Egypt. And when those ten plagues were finished, the people of Israel were a free people. In the book of Revelation, there are seven last plagues. Now, there were ten that fell in Egypt, seven in the book of Revelation. Why the difference? Why is there a difference? What's ten the number four in the Bible? You know, what is it? 
Ten is the number of God's covenant, of His Ten Commandment law, of His name, really. Ten is the number of God's law. And what's the number seven famous for? The completion of the creation week. And what was the seventh day? The Sabbath. So we have imagery here in each for the law of God. Moses and Aaron told Pharaoh that God would smite the people of Israel with plagues if he didn't let them go. Now, would that motivate the king? You know, well, if you don't let us go, king, he's going to smite us. That king didn't care about that. Why would he care two cents about Israel being smitten with plagues? The first three plagues fell on the Israelites and the Egyptians, if you read the storyline. Why? Because God was disciplining his people as he was beginning to bring them out of captivity. It was more for their good than Egypt's discipline here. God brought the first three plagues largely for the purpose of helping his people, to help them grow in faith, to look to the future, to weather difficulty. Ten plagues fell on Egypt, not just seven. But only three fell on Israel in the land of Goshen. So the seven last plagues fell only on the Egyptians who resisted God and who would not let Israel go. The same thing will happen at the time of the end. We all got bad stuff going in our life. We all have trouble. Friends, plagues fall through history. There are three woes in the book of Revelation. It describes the woes and the trouble that we have to put up with to go home to glory. But the seven last plagues will only fall on those who persecute God's people in the mark of the beast. So Egypt is like the world at the end of time, and the seven last plagues only fell on Egypt. The people of Israel lived in the land of Goshen, and God separated them from the Egyptians after the third plague. So between third plague and fourth plague, the people of God don't get any of the other plagues. At the end, when the seven last plagues fell on Egypt, God's people were free. Look at Exodus eight twenty-two. But on that day... God says, I will set apart the land of Goshen between the third and fourth plague, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Verse 23, thus I will put a division between my people and your people. By tomorrow shall this sign be. The seven last plagues fell on Egypt because Egypt would not let Israel go and because God would not let final judgment fall on Israel. You see, God allows judgments to come into our life to discipline us, but God will not allow judgments to come into our life to crush us if we are his people. His discipline is for a loving outcome. It is not to demoralize us. The seven last plagues devastated the kingdom of Egypt. The seven last plagues brought freedom for God's people. When the seven last plagues ended Pharaoh's grip on Israel, Israel was released. They were suddenly happy and joyful and moving toward the promised land because they'd been liberated by the power of God. The seven last plagues made Israel a nation. At the end of the plagues, Pharaoh tried to destroy Israel, but God destroyed Pharaoh. The same will happen at the time of the end. When the seven last plagues are over, Israel, for the first time in probably 200 and something years, they pinch themselves. They're free. They've never known freedom for centuries. What would they do with it? When the seven last plagues were over, God showed up in the pillar of fire and cloud like Jesus is going to show up when the seven last plagues are over at the time of the end in the clouds of heaven with fire. Friend, Jesus is coming at the end of the seven last plagues to lead his people over the sea of glass like he led them through the Red Sea. Jesus is coming to deliver us from all the pharaohs of the world and to give us a new beginning. We have trouble in life. That trouble teaches us to come to God, to see God in our life, But the final time of trouble is coming to give us God forever with eternal life. Why? 
Because Jesus will come at the end of the seven last plagues in the pillar of fire and cloud for all his people who love him. And then the end of the seven last plagues will be the new beginning we all so want. It is coming. A day of joy, a day of relief. And friend, we're not second-guess why it was so hard to get there. Why? Because God's work will be done in our lives. And we'll have the character that will become our precious treasure in all the days of eternity. So what should we be doing in the meantime? You know what we should be doing? We should be using our time to win men and women to Jesus. We should allow our circumstances to work for us, not against us. We should let no minute go by that we are not wholly engaged for the salvation of those for whom Jesus died. Because I tell you, when we stand on the sea of glass, we're going to be staying with people that God has saved through us and that others who have worked to save us. And that will be family forever and ever and ever. God get you through your troubles in life. You want to get through your troubles in life? May he do so with Jesus, with joy and purpose and faith in his holy name. Well, amen. That will conclude the message entitled The Seven Last Plagues. Appreciate you listening today to Reaching Your Heart. Join us again next time. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Again, you can listen to this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com in its entirety along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And join us again next time. We so appreciate you listening. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Your heart.